Hey everybody, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. We're a podcast about, I, I guess you could call it neoclassicism. <sighs> yeah, Is that what we are? Yeah, profound oh work of neoclassicism. Yeah. That's a great point. It's a, anyway, we are, our aim is to bring to you the works of the classical world and old ideas and stuff in a digestible way, mm. some way that is not horrible to listen to. Like a little or, wafer. Yeah, a <laughs> tiny little uh, knowledge cookie. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Right? Well, cookie of knowledge. But I'll tell you, the one thing I'm really excited for is this season of Lost. You guys know mm. that's happening on a Caribbean no. island. Can you tell me about it? What's well, it's mostly about, I mean, it's, it's, it's singles. They're turning it into a reality wow, show where they're, wow. they just soak them in alcohol and then wow. see who will date who. Sounds miserable. But yeah, okay. the, the title is Paradise Lost. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you guys saw that one coming, didn't you? I did not until the very, very end. Graham has, <laughs> Graham has not cracked a smile at all <laughs> this entire well. intro. I, He's I, not into it. It's pretty good, but yeah. I was, it was rough. I'll admit it. It was not my best <laughs> intro ever. But but you got us there. That's I, yeah. Okay? The real the real you know the requirement was met yeah, that sure. I I begin with a bad pun. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess we're kind of yeah sort of on Paradise Lost. Um, so, that's what you told me. No, it you is. Lied to me, no, I didn't lie to you. You said it was on Paradise it was Lost. On and I, my whole intro was based on no, that no, premise. That's good. Um, so <laughs> if you Google oh. anything to do with Paradise Lost, okay. or even if you go to the Paradise Lost Wikipedia page, okay. if you become like a fan of the book, it's not – I even wonder if this is on the cover of this book. Um, no, someone different. But uh, you uh, – eventually um, the art that is associated with Paradise Lost is almost inevitably, inevitably going to be William Blake. So I even think... Um, right there. Yeah. Satan arousing isn't the, the rebel angels. Isn't that William Blake? No, this isn't William Blake. On the Oxford sure? World Classic, it's not. It's um, right Detail there. from the Creation of Light by George Richmond. I don't know who George mm. Richmond is. There are a bunch of William Blake uh, pictures here. Uh, so Judged He Man. Yes. A bunch of them. So, I mean, William Blake did a bunch of woodcuts, I think they are, or maybe not woodcuts. What are those things where you, you, you sear it into metal? I think the woodcuts were... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But anyway... Um, yeah, the Dory did a bunch Dory. of yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes, Dory did woodcuts. But William Blake is... Um, I even was... When I forgot my Paradise Lost book at school, I went to the... Uh, like a PDF from... I think it was Dartmouth... Dartmouth has like a Milton school. I think it was Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. And the banner uh, picture on the top of the Dartmouth Milton blog is William Blake. It's a picture from William Blake. <laughs> this seems weird. No, this is fine. Uh, but my but the William Blake is 100 years. So William Blake died in 1827. Milton died in 16-something. Really? I thought Milton was way more recent. No. So Blake is like a fan of – I mean, Blake, Blake is not a contemporary. Blake is – 1674. Yeah. So, um, 16, what? 74. So like 150 years, right? Is, uh, is Blake, it's death. So this is, um, and to have these guys be so closely linked. Um, and there's a reason for this and it's that the, and Blake is, well, first of all, Blake's a crazy person. We've talked about him on an episode before. Total nut. Uh, just an absolute. A- an episode that was published on his birthday, right? I know. We posted, <laughs> yeah, we, I feel like accidentally, about that. accidentally published on accidentally his birthday. Accidentally published on his yeah. birthday was like retweeted by the William Blake Society or whatever. I was like, they clearly did not really, listen yeah, because we had some one. words about Blake. <laughs> I think we ended with like, we should never teach this in a Christian school. That was literally, um, yeah. <laughs> literally, yeah. But William Blake is somebody who had, um, and I made reference to this at the, in middle of Maybe's last episode, where during Romanticism there was this weird group of Romantics who dressed up a lot of Romantic thought using Christian stories and Christian imagery. And Blake is a big one. Um, this is, um, so we're not really going to be getting into how Blake did it. You can go listen to the old Blake podcast. But when you, but for Blake, uh, people who love William Blake sort of have like a, a little like a, a replacement guide. Whenever you talk about Satan, you're really talking about this. Whenever you talk about God the Father, you're really talking about this. So whenever you're talking about Satan, you're talking about like the rebellious spirit of man wanting to be free. Whenever you're talking about God, you're actually talking about like the stony law of nature. <laughs> Whenever you're talking about, you know, the Holy Spirit, you're really talking about like man's sexual desire or whatever it is. I don't think that, that last true? one was. Like, I don't think that last one was not, right. Not the last one, but I just mean like that kind of one to one. Yes. So allegory. Blake does this, yeah. and his whole like his tombstone says that he's like a poet and a prophet. Like he really believed that he was coming and bringing this new 
packaging of Christianity or like the, the, the like what Christianity actually is using all of the stories of the Bible. Well, he was one of the precursors of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? The the rebellious spirit. Yes. I mean, he yeah. wrote The Marriage of Heaven and he Hell. He wrote The Marriage of like, Heaven and Hell. You just got to be free. You just got to, yes. That um, God's sort of laws try to repress our desire, but he secretly wants us to like bust out. Anyway, all this kind of stuff. And um, that uh, a lot of the romantics... Um, um, were influenced by Blake, and when they read Paradise Lost, they interpreted Paradise Lost through Blake, or at least through that sort of romantic ethos, where when you're talking about Satan, you're actually talking about, like, you know, the the industriousness, rebellious spirit of, like, impassioned man. Um, Which Milton did not mean. Well, this is, the, this is a great question. Okay. So if you ever go, and this is how I was taught Milton, I was definitely, when I was in college at the University of Toronto, and I had my first Milton class. I don't even think I took a course on Milton. I think it was just like a survey course of romanticism. Milton was in it, oh. which is really in, cause, which is interesting because Milton is not classically or typically romantic. Right. But um, there is a huge sort of school of interpreting Milton through romanticism that is almost taken as like canonical. Like this is the way you interpret Milton. To the point where it even colors um, sort of Milton itself. The Wikipedia, I was even looking through the Wikipedia article, and there was a couple of times where the Wikipedia article of Milton, I was just looking at it, I think this morning or last night. There's a couple of like citations needed, which is always um, <laughs> a good sign. <laughs> which is always a uh, uh, an indication that there that we're now getting into crisis land on Wikipedia. <laughs> sure. Uh, or it's uh, it's like the my favorite like backhanded like like come at me, bro. Uh, somebody else is, is wanting proof. But there's a couple of citations needed where it's talking about the motivation of what Eve did something, oh, okay. why Eve did what she did. Uh, I think it was like Eve was actually the smarter of the two characters, and that's why she followed Satan. Yeah. And there was like a citation needed. <laughs> um, but there's – so there's this, this history of interpreting Milton that comes through romanticism, and it usually is always crystallized in that one question that probably every introductory Milton class starts with. I don't ask this question in my class, but the one that I was asked in college is, is Milton, is Satan a hero or not in Paradise Lost? Is he someone to emulate or not? And romantics would say yes. Satan is the hero of Paradise Lost. He represents like, you know, uh, the true feeling self crushed by like the law of society. And he wants to go like build his own society and just like, just like, you know, the mind is its own place kind of thing. Can I read you the Wikipedia part about oh, this? sure. Satan's status as a protagonist in this epic poem is debated. Citation needed. Milton characterizes him as such. Citation needed. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And the thing is, then you go and read, and this is what sort of opened my eyes to it, is you go and you read, oh, so my own sort of personal story. Therefore, reading Paradise Lost as an undergrad, in my mind, I go, oh, Milton's not Christian because he is... Um, sort of subsumed into the romantics and um, and Milton is just like a proto um, uh, uh, like a proto Blake right um, uh, that you know he inspired Blake and since Blake was like kind of wackadon or when Blake was sort of reinterpreting Christianity for this like romantic mission of his right. And if, Bl- and if Milton is the guy who inspired that, well, then Milton must also sort of be uh, in, in this category as well. That was what my young undergrad brain thought. But William Blake does count Milton as one of his influences? Like I that- think so. I mean, he does all the, all the paintings of his okay. book. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, then you go and you read – then I read C.S. Lewis's Introduction to Paradise Lost, and you read it. And the way that Lewis talks about Milton is he assumes – he talks about Milton as if, like, he's one of us. Like, he talks about Milton as a great work of the Christian imagination. And um, and so uh, – and he talks – there's a whole chapter about how Milton's theology is very much like Augustine or Augustine. Um, he talks a little bit about, like, that Milton does have a, a, have a heresy maybe latent in the story where Jesus is kind of, like, presumed to be created – um, but it's just sort of because it, you get into trouble when you're like creating characters sure. that are God in a like in a <laughs> yes. book, mm-hmm. um, or and when so, like Jesus arrives on the scene yeah. instead of being there always. Yeah, so it's like Milton yeah. actually creating Jesus. So it's it's sort of unclear is Milton actually a heretic or is he just like writing himself into heresy? Well, he also he's, says the angels are kind of made of goo. 
Yeah, this ethereal, this ethereal mold that they can turn into whatever shape they want. Yeah. So Milton is, yeah, he's got creative license. But when Lewis writes about Milton, he writes as if he puts Milton alongside with Dante as being, he's sort of like the Protestant Dante, many is according to Lewis. And so this just sort of got me thinking about like that um, Milton kind of got absorbed into a into like a philosophical debate 200 or 100 years after his death and he kind of got reimagined to be the banner of that movement um i um it's is it retcon is that the <laughs> sure yeah. is that what is am i getting using that word correctly so it'd be, mm-hmm. it'd be a retcon if milton meant it differently gotcha and okay. then later it was changed to be he actually meant it this way so what is that where like you decide that what you're what you're doing is you're going back and you're like i don't know you're holding up this story saying like, well, what Milton was really doing was that he was like the first romantic ushering in this new age of like feeling and, and therapy or whatever. Um, maybe it's not retcon, but... Um, yeah, isn't I, retcon going back and changing a piece of a story to yes. fit what's currently happening? I'm trying to think of like, we, we actually have a lot of this kind of thing in our kind of reboot world where we are rebooting shows and where we are... Um, sort of like reimagining uh, um, these other television shows or movies, but in that reboot, we're also feeling like we're correcting the problems of the past. Right. Um, But that's, and I assume this is where you're going. The question, it it would be a retcon if if Milton meant it a different way. Yeah. So so it's not a retcon, so I'm not using that word correctly. But when you have... No, I'm saying Milton didn't mean it the romantic, mean Paradise Lost the romantic way, did he? He did not. That's why I think you're you're correct. Oh, okay. So but then you've got... Blake doing these paintings yeah. of, and he's saying like, here is a painting of the scene in Paradise Lost, but it's all wrapped up in like Blakeian craziness. Um, and, uh, and so then we've now, um, you know, in 2022 have, when we think of Paradise Lost, we think of it as being this, this book. So much so that when we, when we're putting together our Blake website or our Milton website, we get Blake Banner ad pictures for it. Do you think they're um, wrong to do that? Um, I don't. Th- I, I don't think they're wrong. But what I, um, what I think is it, it is an example of is that the Romantic movement really was a pr- um, needed to have a violent reimagining of the past in order to like um, um, coalesce into its own belief in its own thing. Right. So, uh, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get there in a second. So, um, the best example, so, uh, I've been reading, uh, Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. AJ, are you looking up pictures of Blake? Yes. Yeah. And from Milton Paradise Lost. Yeah. Cause I thought, I thought maybe what had happened is that they just took pictures from The Marriage of Good and Evil and were sort of, just sort of foisting those upon mm-hmm. Paradise Lost. Nope. He has illustrations Parad- just of yeah. Paradise Lost. And, um. And they're, but, cause they're not bad. Like they're good pictures. They are great pictures. But I. I'm assuming you're saying there's like an interpretation it, in the painting that colors. Maybe. I, I haven't really gone as far. I mean, if you are a, someone who knows William Blake, you would um, um, you can't look at those pictures without sort of knowing what William Blake's doing. Right. So when he's like drawing God, right. he's drawing the, 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 the giver of the stony law, like, like sure. um, which is not how God is portrayed in Paradise Lost. So the God of book three of Paradise Lost were, or even – the God described in book 12 by Michael at the end when Michael's saying like, listen, here's how God's going to fix your, pro- fix everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not the, like the giver of the stony law. It is the loving God that brings the cru- that does the crucifixion of Easter Sunday. So, sure. um, um, yeah, the, um, romantic, so the romantic movement almost like, um, absorbed paradise lost and used it as it's like launch text into talking about romanticism and Blake is kind of the linchpin with that. But you have characters, you have people like Mary Shelley and Mary Shelley does this with Frankenstein. So her story of Frankenstein is a pretty conscious retelling or she uses a lot of language and a lot of imagery from Paradise Lost. And I'm teaching Frankenstein now to my kids in 10th grade and we just finished Paradise Lost. And so my 10th graders are picking up on all the illusions. They're like, oh, Victor Frankenstein just said he carries a hell within him. That's just like, that's just like Satan. Oh, the childhood that that is described as Victor and Elizabeth, he describes them in the same way that Milton describes um, uh, Adam and Eve. 
But one of my students this year said something that I thought was really insightful. And they said, Mary Shelley is describing, is, is using putting Paradise Lost into Frankenstein, but it's a cartoon version mm-hmm. of Paradise Lost. Sure. Like, and the example was um, the childhood of Victor and Elizabeth in Frankenstein. Like Victor's this like kid who loves science and he wants to know everything. And Elizabeth just loves flowers and all she cares about are like beautiful poems and flowers. And that, the student said, was kind of like a a cartoon version of Adam and Eve in Paradise Lost. Sure. That if you just took a cursory read of Paradise Lost and were to describe Adam and Eve, you would describe Victor and Elizabeth. Sort of like science kid and flower girl. Yeah. Um, Is that fair to call the romantic reading a shallow reading? Um, maybe not. A sh- no, I don't think it's, fa- I think it's... I think it's fair to call Frankenstein a shallow reading of Paradise Lost, but... Okay. But what Blake is doing is not shallow. What Blake is doing is like a total reimagining of Christian Lost. symbols for that sort of romantic deal. But I think uh, there, there's, an, I mean, there's a name for a certain group of people who thought Satan was the hero, the Satanists, yeah, which yeah. is you know confusing label. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I think theirs has to be a shallow read. He is, he is not a hero. Mm-hmm. Is, that we, is that not a part well, of the Well, the, the joke is that, Milton, is that the romantics stop reading past book four. Like, okay. that's the joke, is because as soon as uh, Satan becomes a snake, he's clearly pathetic yeah. and sad and and uh, laughable. Like, even the moment he shows up in the garden as a frog and then they catch him and they're right. like, put him over there. And he's like, do you know who I am? And they're like, yeah, yes. no, <laughs> who are you? We don't care. Go sit over there. And they like, just yep. these random sentry angels that have no, mm-hmm. you know, he has no power over, the, over them and... Some random little Abdiel angel, even during the battle, clonks him on the head yeah, and just right. smokes him. So I, it has to be a shallow reading if you come out thinking he's the hero. He looks like a fool. Mm-hmm. Isn't, isn't what AJ is saying a part of the romantic reading? It is, so. yeah. So no, there, there is definitely a shallowness. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's a shallowness, but I think it's, well, let me, so let, uh, Carl Truman, uh, I've been reading The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, has a really great definition of romanticism that I want to uh, give you. And let's see if I can find it here, what page is on, 27. Um, So his definition of, um, um, so this is what he he says to talk about uh, romanticism. The romantics grounded ethics in aesthetics, in the cultivation of, and these are important words, empathy and sympathy, confident that a universal shared human nature provided a firm foundation for such. He's going to go on to say that Nietzsche then sort of builds on that and changes it, and Marx go, builds his own version of that. Sure. But his whole point is that what the rom- the romantics are are um, are essentially a group that are trying to postulate a new ethic of how why human beings how, what human beings should do why human beings should do stuff, grounding it in aesthetics, grounding it in questions of beauty and taste. And the reason, but the reason they think they can do that is because they're confident that um, that human sh- that universal shared human nature was a firm enough foundation to be able to like build an ethic on. So instead of talking about what ought, they can talk about like what every, what all human beings know they do, they you know or how can I describe what it? What they all feel? What they either what they all feel or just like the famous Rousseau: "Go look at savage man in nature, and you'll find your ethic." Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but those words of empathy and sympathy, I think, are key because this is a, the, a big hallmark of the big romantic turn is that um, they saw Satan as the hero because they sympathized or empathized with him, they felt sorry for him, and by having him sort of by having his actual real inner turmoil and anguish depicted by Milton. Um, he's made to be sympathetic. He's made to be sympathetic. Oh, I hate this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so when they see Satan say things like, um, wherever I go am hell, myself am hell, um, no more from misery from myself can fly. Like when he says these sorts of things, the romantics basically go, oh, mm-hmm. buddy. And, uh, and then there's that sort of sympathy for him. Like, I've and, been there, pal. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And then there's a building. He feels and, sad like And I so then that sympathy ends up becoming a 
the platform for building him up into some into basically somebody that they can either relate to or that he sh- is in fact the hero. So not it's just a hero, but like a tragic hero. A tragic yeah. hero. You need to look at it from his point of view. Um, um, if if you went through what Satan went through, you would feel the same way. Don't you know judge a book by its cover kind but, of stuff. But Milton means those punishments or those negative emotions differently. I think so. Whereas I think Milton. They're, they're like no, punishments for things. I think this is still the debate. I think you can definitely read Milton as. Satan legitimately feels that way. The despair of the soul in rebellion against God is a real despair. Uh, it's not, he's not just like an evil cartoon, like devil, uh, you know, with goat horns going, ha ha, I'll get you. Right. Like his despair is real. Uh-huh. Um, but, um, but his despair isn't something that it should, we should sympathize with. Like the despair is sort of justly deserved. Well, I think, I think sympathy is okay. Like, I think what he's, what Milton is giving is maybe a, sorry. No, go for it. No, it's maybe an honest depiction of evil. Like Mm -hmm. we, we either in the modern world, either say evil is not a thing or we make it a cartoon version where evil is like evil. Evil is that cartoony thing, Mm -hmm. but real evil is often regretted by the person committing it. And often what they have done is made their own life a living hell. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it reminds me, I think one of the best modern depictions like in popular culture is probably Thanos, right? (laughs) Okay. He, he knows he's got to do this evil thing. I don't know what this is. Uh, it's yes, from, from uh, Marvel. Yeah, snap yeah, guy. Snap guy. guy. Yes. So he, he, he wants to do good for the world and he's tortured and he, like, it has made his life horrible. Right. He yeah. has to be horrible to his kids and horrible to everybody. And, and gosh, I wish the guy would have spent 10 more minutes thinking about it and would have created double the resources instead sure. of killing everybody. But it seems like an actual good depiction of it. Kind of like in, what is it? Crime and Punishment, right? His sin makes him feel awful. Um... Okay, but so we tie that back to sympathy. So what I'm saying is it's, I don't think that sympathy is, like I think maybe it's a medium, right? Satan's punishments are just and deserved, and I think Milton is showing them that way. Milton is also showing him as sort of a sympathetic sympathetic character because we should have sympathy for someone who does evil, and yet their punishments are still deserved. It's a medium in between the two, whereas the romantics are saying he's sympathetic and poor abused guy, like God is all up in his business. You need to say, yes, it's sympathetic, but that's the deal. Like I think. Chose I sin. guess. I guess the um, the romantic. The, the, yeah, the, it's the next move that's really important. Okay, so the sin of Satan or the fall of Satan can engender sympathy. Okay, now what are we going to do with it? What do we do with the character of Satan? Um, you can feel bad that he is in despair, but. Um, the romantics will then sort of normalize that despair and turn him into a hero. So, right. so f- the book Frankenstein is actually wanting to do that. It's creating the monster and putting him in the same place kind of as Adam uh, uh, and then kind of as Satan. Um, and so here's the monster who was rejected by his creator and he feels bad and he goes off and he burns down things and he's a monster because of it because he so, never really got a fair shake. So th- is it the difference between um, tragedy and justice? Like Milton meant that despair as a part of the justice for his sin, whereas the yes. the romantics yeah. say it is tragic that he feels yes. it. So okay. the, the romantics don't, yes, would not see the, what happens to Satan as just. They would see what happens to Satan as a depiction of us as well. Sure. Um, and so then, yeah, so then the book Frankenstein is taking... And, and that's not what Milton is saying. So Milton is saying that, yeah, that... I think Milton is saying is that it's justice. It is a just the despair thing. that he feels is sad, but that's part of the deal. Like and then it's the romantics come in, like Mary Shelley comes in and says, nah, that's not what Milton means. What Milton means is actually like <laughs> um, that God rejects us, and because God rejects us, um, we are in despair, but that despair should be turned back to, to be... We should be angry that God didn't give us everything that we needed. Like Frankenstein is justified in his anger against Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, and so then you have this like little reimagining of Paradise Lost so that you can't go and, I mean, you can, but the romantics then change the interpretation of Paradise Lost with their sort of absorbing it into their canon, if that makes yeah, any sense. You don't, because Milton wasn't trying to muddy things up by making Satan sympathetic. I don't think so. Arguing, I guess the, he might've been, we maybe, don't really know, yeah, we don't really know. But the romantics will use that as a means to reinterpret the entire story because mm-hmm. of the emotion of it and not because of the like actual facts of the case of yeah. he's Satan. And he, do you know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. he deserves the punishment that he gets. Yeah. They, they will sort of ignore the 
rest of Christian orthodoxy that sure. the book that the book <laughs> posits yeah. from basically book five to the end. I mean, right. the, the book is I think it's it's thoroughly orthodox all the way through. Um, but with some some fiddle room, with, of fiddle course, room with with yeah. it being like weird fan fiction, you're always going to have your, your like weird wiggle parts. room. But I, because but AJ's response before is like the right one, isn't it? Of so it's fine to understand the emotions that the is protagonist the right term the the the, the to understand the emotions of Satan, the main character of the story, but it shouldn't distract from um, the message of the story. It shouldn't distract from Milton's intention with it. I just. I feel so easily pulled in the direction of if we're going to show sympathy towards Satan, it's just very hard to avoid then blaming God for for sure what happens to Satan. And I think that's what the romantics end up doing, right. mm-hmm. or, or um, if not explicitly, implicitly, and then I think explicitly later. With well, at least with Frankenstein, with with right? Frankenstein, it's a little bit more explicit. Right. And then sort of the further down you go, um, you get to the points where people sort of take ipso facto Satan is the hero of Paradise Lost and God's a big giant jerkbag and. Milton, that wouldn't be the reading that that's not how it's written. Right. I mean, um, it's also so, funny that the affinity with Satan as opposed to Adam and Eve, the two humans in the story yeah. who sure they're kicked out of the garden, but you, d- you described that they have a, they talk with one of the angels and they're told how it's all going to work out. Yes. Anyway. And there's a similar thing that happens with Eve that, that, that a similar kind of move happens with Eve where there's a reimagining of her, uh, motivations coming from romanticism and sort of the burgeoning beginning of feminism with Mary Shelley and Mary Wollstonecraft, um, uh, going back and sort of reimagining Eve's um, motivations for eating the fruit is like, I mean, at some point you get it to the fact where it's like Eve, Eve's eating the fruit, being like, "Screw the patriarchy!" Like, sure. uh, yeah, and of which, course, which is not in the which story. is not in the in the story of Milton, right. um, and so um, um, yeah, the the fact that the, that um, that's something that is um, that see when C.S. Lewis reads it, he says, "Ah, this is one of this is one of our stories. This is a Christian story." And then when the when the Romantics read it, um, they say, "Hey, Milton's Milton's like um, um, starting to do this new thing. Milton's got this new thread that we're going to pull." And of course, maybe he couldn't say exactly everything he wanted to because of his right. like you know backwards impressed. day and age right. wouldn't have wouldn't have accepted it. But deep down, he was kind of one of us. And so you kind of have these two camps claiming ownership um, and then building out these sort of interpretive frameworks around the book. Um, And uh, what I think um, this is a great example of um, like the the mission of what the Enlightenment is trying to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe you and I were kind of even talking about this before we recorded the episode a little bit after we talked about your episode on Leo Party. Um, and that was, what was the definition that, um, you had said maybe oh, it wasn't post- of the enlightenment. What was no, it? It was about the term post-Christian. It was from a, it's a, it's a John Mark Comer podcast. It's, I don't remember the name of it now. Sorry. It's him with, um, an Australian co-host. Sorry, I don't mm-hmm. have it in front of me, but he, he, he was defining what the term post-Christian means. And his definition was that post-Christian is seeking of Christian ends without Christianity. Yeah. And, um, one of the definitions of the Enlightenment that um, I've kind of heard talked about a couple times, I think maybe Andrew Kern talked about it at Circe, but I've heard it batted around before, is that it's wanting, it's an attempt to keep the fruit of Christian society without any sort of appeals to the transcendent Christian story, or, or as we get further down, any kind of appeals to anything transcendent. Yeah. Um, so you want to have a grounded ethics, you want to have a... Um, uh, um, yeah, so some, some sort of definition of goodness. You want to have some sort of appeals to truth in the realm of science. You want to have some sort of appeals to beauty in the realms of art. Um, and you're wanting to keep sort of the fruit of Christian society without sort of using the transcendence. And so I think that the romantic interpretation of Paradise Lost is like an example of trying to keep the fruit, you know, trying to keep the, the the fruit of Christian society, but getting rid of all that like nasty Christian orthodoxy stuff. But then, can, I'm missing some connections mm-hmm. between the sympathy empathy point on the romantics to that. So, like, what are these ends that they're trying mm. to keep? Um, is sympathy is that a new end, or is that do, do those two um, ideas go together? Yeah. Um, s- 
So Truman, I think what he does in partway through his book is he tries to draw the link between um, romanticism as this sort of attempt to create an ethic apart from like objective morality, like positing God and, and God's law um, and banking it just in sympathy. So uh, we even saw this a little bit in, in the Candide episode, right? Like um, atheist character walks around and sees something, somebody doing something terrible to somebody else and feels like this is a bad thing. And that's all we need. Mm. We just need to be able to like observe the world and then be able to draw our ethical conclusions. We don't need to be told that thou shalt not murder. We just need to, if we witness a murder, we're going to know it's wrong. Yeah. Um, why? Because we wouldn't want to be in that guy's place getting murdered. So, um, therefore don't murder. And so therefore don't murder. And the driver of that was a sympathy was, I don't want to be in that dude's place getting murdered. And so then, um, a, a sympathetic, um, analysis of somebody else's life should be the grounding of our ethical mm. framework. Okay. Which I don't think is, I don't think is wrong, but I don't think it's something that you can, I don't think it's the, uh, the sufficient condition for, for the ethical framework. The romantics, I think, try to argue that it is. Okay. That if you, that just by being sympathetic, we can build a, um, a framework for, for ethics of what we, t- we can do. What Truman points out in the book is that this uh, what be, um, this actually starts down a really uncomfortable road of humanizing monsters, hmm. um, where you get this um, uh, you you begin to um, uh, look at you know the other side of the coin so much or the or, or, um, the bad guy's point of view so much that totally blur the line between good and bad and we actually can sympathize with the bad guy because he's coming out of an honest an honest place and we right. can sympathize with him um, but sort of do this writ large and um, and this becomes sort of a more uh, um, can actually lead to some some places where we're just sort of creating people that don't have <laughs> healthy fear of bad things. Yeah. Um, so we, um, in our AMA, we were talking about, um, books that, uh, we didn't rate. Uh, and I think I, I jokingly said the wheel of time mm-hmm. and maybe you said one it's of the reasons you liked it was because of its, it's good guys are good and bad guys are bad, yeah, right? Straightforward. Yeah. Um, do you think that that kind of book is, um, where good guys are good and bad guys are bad are still, that's still like a way of that young adult stories are still centered around that framework. I don't know if I read enough, uh, uh, like in that genre to know, again, wheel of time is one of the best selling, um, sci-fi series of all time. And, mm-hmm. uh, Brandon Sanderson had to write the last three cause, um, I forget the author's name, but he died before he could finish the series. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like, you know, there's some popularity there. I take your, but again, my point is that I well, just think it's even, it? sorry, go so ahead. what Truman's talking about, is he talking about literal monsters? Like, is he talking, does he talk about Twilight and vampires and like that, vampires are good now? I, I, I think forgo- so. I, I forgot if he got that specific, but like that's, I think, spot on. And Twilight has, uh, this is such, it's a small subset of all books written, but um, just think of like how, what is uh, uh, historically like just like a clearly evil monster now is totally personalized, actually is the hero, actually is a good guy. And what's the enemy? Well, it's a society that yes, rejects him. Exactly. Um, and I think, yeah, we, we can kind of be, you know, tongue in cheek about it and, but I even think if you start looking at lots of, of like kids shows and kids movies, it is a lot of humanizing the bad guy or humanizing the other. So you've got like Despicable Me. Well, it's the evil genius mastermind that's actually the hero. Or mm-hmm. I don't know enough kids stories to know. Um, but there's an um, whereas like uh, you go back to like Sleeping Beauty and the witch is, is evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, but then. Aren't there even more like modern Disney where that's like the stories told from the witch point of view? Like, isn't Maleficent about the witch? I haven't watched it, but yeah. yes, she's the main character. And they have, and there are Disney Channel shows that have like the bad guys as the, like they band together. I, I haven't watched Exactly. So it's that kind of sentiment. Now, I'm not saying that these shows are like um, inoculating kids against questioning morality and, and therefore humanizing monsters. Oh, and, and take uh, AJ use Thanos as the example from before. Like that's the biggest example blockbuster of, yeah. movie of all time. And it's like, it's literally about how the bad guy had some good points, mm-hmm. right? Like that's 
but, but that's an entire 30 run movie series to, to make that point. Um, even, this even happened in Star Wars, where all of a sudden the Empire has some sort of sympathetic sides to it with the Clone Wars. And uh, anyway, my point being that, like, that, um, that, that taking that idea that uh, it, is, it is a good thing to look at the world from other people's point of views, that is, the, and, and sim- sympathy, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, but um, the Romantics start to sympathize Satan and then create Frankenstein, the mo- or create the monster in Frankenstein. And you sort of continue to get that moved forward where Satan then becomes sort of the actual hero. And what we are is not people trying to fit into an imperium made by God, um, but are people who are trying to sort of find our place by fighting against that imperium or being on the outside. And isn't that kind of like awesome? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, and so, yeah, so the, saying that that's an, this is an example of the taking of the, the Christian whole and wanting to keep the, the fruit of it, and, but, but sort of discarding the orthodoxy. Um, and uh, there's probably a whole podcast we could do on um, how rom- the Romantic poets thought that they were rescuing beauty from like boring stuffy Christianity sure. by creating their poems. But I mean, it is pretty quick to go from like romanticism to impressionism to cubism to Marcel Duchamp putting a urinal in the Louvre. Yeah. Right? Um, they're all in the same ethos of 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 like looking at what's come before you and kind of like um, smashing it and trying to reinterpret it moving forward to something. Well, even even the the, the Italian guy the we were talking about guy. last time, where like standards could be held onto for a little while, but it's always that problem of like how do you train the next generation? So like your current sure. generation was mm-hmm. trained in these like methods of make stuff that's actual actually mm-hmm. beautiful, but then that's thrown off and not passed on, and then you get to Dada. You mm-hmm. know, I guess it's a century later or whatever, but. Um, yeah, but that's kind of still the direction of it. Mm-hmm. The throwing off of standards leads to no standards being passed on, right? Yeah. So, um, and then we have this, then we, we almost have this like sort of th- this this thicket of interpretive um, muck to, to, to move through so that like it's even, it's really hard to talk about Paradise Lost without talking about, uh, without also talking about the history of how it is interpreted. Um, um, we, in the last episode, we were even talking about how, like, Dante is in a world that is done. Yeah. And Leopardi is is in a world that we live in. Right. And so reading Leopardi, we're like, oh, yeah, this guy understands humanity. Sure. And you read Dante, and you're like, what is, like, what's this old world that he lived in? Like, I don't even have a frame of reference for understanding what he's talking about because. Yeah. It's so different. Uh, we don't believe in that sort of the imperium of, of sort of Christian order. Sure. I'm waiting for you to go the next step and then say that sympathy and empathy are bad or that the romantics were wrong all along. I was just going to ask, do you not like the romantics? Like, are you not, you're not I'm down no, with those boys? No, I don't. I mean, I think what the, I think the romantics have um, attempted to... Yeah. You don't like the romantics? <laughs> I don't. That's pretty um, no, I think what the romantics are attempting to do is um, they are attempting to... Um, hold on to standards of beauty apart from, um, or if we think of like beauty as a branch, like you cut the branch off from the tree, it could flower for a season. It could flower for two seasons. There still could be some vigor in that branch, but it's going to die. The romantics cut the branch off from the tree and are, and are still uh, super jazzed when it flowers the first time, and then when it starts to die, write poems about how sad they are about death. Sure. Um, whereas, um, um, yeah, and that everything, and, and sort of, sort of lament. And eventually, future generations are like, "What tree are you talking about?" Yeah, exactly. Yes, there are no, there are no trees. Yeah. Uh, we chopped them all down. Because does Truman start his history of? Like the rise of individualism with the Romantics, he does. So or then, he, uh, yes, pretty much with buy, Rousseau. Okay, so it's then, the, yeah. do, you, do you buy that as a? I do. Uh, I think so. I think that the turn to saying, I mean, it, you could go further back and go Descartes. I think the turn to the individual as the, the man as a measure of all things was the beginning of of that. That's essentially like a very 
um, enlightenment phrase, the man is the measure of the all th- of all things, is kind of the ethos. So I just kind of for my own self jotted down some notes that if we take the three big pillars of classical thought, classical education, truth, beauty, and goodness, mm-hmm. the enlightenment attempts to give a framework for truth, for beauty, and for goodness um, under that turn to the individual, or as what Truman calls the therapeutic man. So um, um, uh, let me just, so uh, goodness in the realm of ethics, um, right? So you, it's, you go from Descartes, I, uh, I think therefore I am, or I doubt therefore I am, uh, to Hume, who, to Kant, to Nietzsche, like that, that sort of, um, that progression of thought goes from, ah, oh, maybe, uh, who is this agent that is doing the doubting? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's me, the human. I, I'm the center of this, and I'm mm-hmm. going to be the thing that works itself out. To Hume, who is sort of saying, like, show me the experiment, to Kant saying, like, uh, how would you summarize Kant in a sentence? Um, the basis of ethics is reason. Yes, the basis of, ex- of ethics is reason. To Nietzsche saying, like, the basis of ethics is, like, can Power, you throw right. down, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, sure. um, and so that's a And so that's the progression of enlightenment thought when it comes to ethics. It's right. kind of this, like, this this trickle down to just force. Right? I feel like Nietzsche would have loved MMA. Yes. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, He'd been a huge MMA fan. Yeah. Nietzsche would love social media. It's, or he yes. would just, like, can you can you just sort of wield your your your... Social clout. Yeah, your clout. Um, Okay, let's do the same thing with beauty. Uh, And this is sort of where the romantics more fit in. Um, um, Beauty, you have the sort of the the idea of perfection or the classical ideal. um, And then you start to get into the impressionist, which is we're actually not going to go with the ideal. We're just going to have impressions of of, of images. Mm -hmm. We're not going to move. We're not going to try to, like, depict something realistically we're going to depict an impression of we it. We just got to get that feel. We just mm-hmm. got to get that feel to then sort of the cubism, which is we're going to get the feel and it's going to be a lot more disjointed to, um, uh, you know, uh, as I said before, like Marshall Duchamp, which is talking about like, um, you know. I made a yellow square on a ex- paper. Exactly. Or the urinal or that kind of that kind of thing. Sure. And if you're really interested Can in that. Can you become an artist, AJ? That, that was just great. I just, <laughs> the thing is, interviews, I like, if you ever read, read the stuff next to those things, uh, it's just, you know, a... a Paragraph this is the deep of meaning behind good. all this, yeah, sure. yeah. And I, I want to be the artist that just puts a yellow square on a paper and writes, "I put a yellow square on a paper and <laughs> see if it sells." So, yeah. um, can you tell I'm not a fan of modern art? Yeah, I, it's, it's no, really I, hard. I'm it's building hard to up tell. to something that that um, Carl Truman mentions, oh, there, which are called death works. We'll get to that in a second. Pretty edgy. Um, I'm sorry, that's not like a machine that where we put people and make them into juice, or it sounds like a German. Put band. him in the death works. <laughs> German metal band. Oh <laughs> De- Welcome death, to death works. Death work. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that, that, that move of beauty is like we're trying to hold up to the ideal to the artist basically like daring the audience to say this is ugly. Yes. And if you're interested in that movement, there's, um, um, oh, um, there's a documentary put forward by, oh, uh, Scruton, is that his name? Roger yeah. Scruton? Oh, Call beauty. About, about Beauty, yeah. which he sort of traces that specifically in the art movement. Does it's fantastic. he scrutinize? Uh, he does scrutinize it, yes. Oh, okay. Um, and then, I had to check. And then when we're talking about, <laughs> so then truth, so we've talked about order, we talked about ethics, we talked about um, goodness in terms of ethics, we talked about beauty in terms of, of aesthetics, and then um, um, truth, the romantics are, um, um, truth then become, becomes a subjective thing. So uh, truth is something that is um, observed by, the, first of all, the artist. And so in, in those poems that we read in the last podcast or what William Blake is doing, what the romantics are doing, you know, I wandered lonely as a cloud. It's the, the artist is the, um, the, center. Is, the obser- is the center is the observer. And then from that, you, um, um, you get to uh, Teenage Freud. You, oh, you, yeah. You, 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 yeah, well, they didn't know that's where we're going. <laughs> but you get Freud, which is sort of like, you know, the, the psychoanalysis. And then you get to the modern man or the modern self, which is... All centered around like identity politics and therapy, mm-hmm. and um, um, or the ex- uh, what is um, the expressive individualism is I think um, what um, I'd say in consumerism. Like there's like a exactly. economic angle to yeah. all this too. Yes, right? that um, um, it's all oriented toward getting uh, you're happy, so you're gonna give me money, right? Yeah, and you I think every everybody realizes that at some point that there are all these like 
subgenres or these like subcultures that you can be a part of are just little economic machines sure. that are a part of the same beast. Be, like, be yourself like can I be? A, else, am right? I going to be a skater punk? Am yeah. I going to be a goth kid? Am I going to be a jock and shop at Abercrombie? Am I going to go, you know, like... And there's a way to uh, buy something that that's right. expresses and all That's right, and you can fit into all those yeah, things. Sure. Um, I want to do a mix. Hmm. <laughs> Abercrombie goth. Abercrombie goth punk. Well, then and then, <laughs> then you've created a new market, and right. now it's going to cater to you, and you can create your own subreddit, and then off you goth go. Goth or crombie. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's um, awesome. Um, so, um, yeah, the, that the, so the enlightenment experiment has reimagined truth, beauty, and goodness. And, but as, and this is not something that I've come up with that, uh, I think there was a book called why the enlightenment failed or something like that, or the, um, and it's sort of tracing this. It's, it's, you have this belief that human reason and putting man as the measure of all things, um, is how we're going to base our understanding of society and then 300 years later, you have, like what we were talking about in the in-between episode, like uh, teen depression rates at 47%. Well, you, or eventually, you're just like, oh, sheesh, well, we can't agree on... We can't agree, We yes. can't agree on the reason. Yeah. So, and so uh, Nietzsche's right when he's like, well, it's just then it's going to be whoever can throw down. Because the, um, the romantics start from this... And, and you get this in romanticism and enlightenment. You expect these common human things across everyone, and then you realize they're sociopaths. And yes. It's like, well... What do you do about that? Because all I can appeal to is this common shared humanity. And how or, many television shows do you have which are sympathetic to sociopaths? Like that's, sure, right. you know, sure. like Dexter. Yeah, I was I just never, thinking Dexter. I never watched that show. Neither yeah. did I, but it, because because I was so frightened, I or I was so turned off by the fact that it was like, um, we're going to um, sort of um, take something which is, which happens in the real world, is people killing people for the sheer joy of it. Right. We're going to put a veneer of of sympathy on it in the doesn't narrative he, world. Doesn't he kill bad guys? Where, he kill, where he's only going to kill bad guys. No, he kills serial killers. And he kills serial okay. killers, and then you can watch that and like it, but if you don't have the sophistication to be able to take what was rea- what was like fiction and not bring that into the real world, like, you could have, you could, you know, people could be like, oh, well, maybe there are real Dexters out there, and this guy that I started, you know... Um, my e- you know, emailing who's in prison is maybe the, a real life Dexter. And then you're in all sorts of problems. Mm. Um, to be fair, they didn't, uh, from what I remember of the show, they didn't make Dexter seem that sympathetic. He's not a friendly person. But he's still the main character. But he's still the main yeah, character. And, you know, there's still probably like, um, you know, Dexter fan Instagram pages out there. So I have, you guys can tell me why I'm wrong. We... There, there, there was a, have a list. Do you, okay, there was a push. There was a push at Veritas a few years ago against the humanizing of villains, right? That evil needs to be only evil. Really? Was this like a yeah, curriculum thing? This was a, this was a thing. It was oh. probably seven or eight years ago. Okay. And I always bristled against it. Number one, I think storytelling is fine when we want to see the inner workings of evil. I think what has what the problem is is not that we villainize evil and say this is evil and it's only evil and it's not good and it should be opposed to good but that we've lost an understanding of what evil really is and that it is like a, a crippling weakness coming to bear on a person and that if they stay in that weakness, it will destroy them, right? I think that actually depicted in a show is sympathetic, but also just. And, I, and if to, to, to bring up Milton, right? He showed Satan not as pure villain, but as a person lost in his sin who was getting his comeuppance for the choices he had made, mm-hmm. which is what sin really is. I don't, I don't want Frankenstein to be, or Frankenstein's monster to be only monster. Uh, neither do I want the same thing of, like I kind of wish in Beowulf, I kind of wish the bad guys were a little more sympathetic because they are depicted as cartoonish evil. And what happens when we ha- have only cartoonish evil is I think kids lose the notion that like sometimes a little slip, they're like, I'm still a pretty good person. Like I'm not a monster. And it lets them slide down that thing without realizing, okay, these small steps, this is what evil is, is when good has gone a little bit screwball. Like, I have to stop there because that is when things go wonky. I I have always been uncomfortable with the push to make monsters pure monster because it it cartoonizes the whole thing. And students don't learn that, yeah, I I guess I've already said it, but they don't learn those small shades. Yeah, I... I I'm tracking with you until you say that the reason we shouldn't do this is so that the child themselves doesn't feel bad when they mess up. Like, I don't think worrying about 
how the child thinks about themselves. Therefore, we should humanize evil. No, I'm, but but this is the point, right? Mm-hmm. The reason we wouldn't humanize evil is to help teach them about evil. But my point is that it doesn't teach them about evil. Real teaching about evil shows that it is like it is a darkness, a wickedness, and a weakness that comes over a person, and it can look a lot like good. I just think it requires that last part. So, and I agree, it's similar to what you said before. I'm totally on board. If it's taught from there are bad people, there are bad decisions that lead to punishment that shouldn't, you shouldn't follow down that path. That's one thing, which I think is separate from there are bad people who bad things happen to them and we need to make them feel better. That's not the same thing. Yeah, that's not mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Correct. Yeah. But I think that's more what Graham is commenting on. And I agree with you that it's, we all make bad decisions. We should see that making those bad decisions leads to bad outcomes. But that's not quite the same as what Graham is commenting on of we kind of lose all responsibility. That I'm a bad person because my parents were mean to me when I was growing up. Therefore, I'm not um, in charge of my actions right now. Therefore, I need sympathy. I need people to feel a certain way toward me. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. And what I, I guess what I'm advocating for is not middle, a right. full movement into the romantic view, right. but the medium that actually happens in Milton, mm-hmm. where, yeah, the character is a little sympathetic, yeah. but it's, it is painted as this is a weakness. Right. And yes, he is, he is stuck in this place, but that is the right place for him to be stuck. And this is what evil does. Sure. I think that is what is good to teach kids, not... I know. I, I, I think I kind of disagree. Like, okay. okay. So think of Goldilocks. No, we have disagreement. We don't have disagreement. Think Never. Goldilocks and um, three bears. Three bears. Uh, no, where's the one where she gets eaten by a wolf at the end? Um, Red Riding Hood. The big, the big bad wolf. What's the big bad wolf? Red What's that story? Red, Red, Riding Red, Riding Red Riding Hood. Red Riding Hood. Okay, the big bad wolf. The big bad wolf wants to eat you, right? Pretends to be your grandma. Pretends to be the woodsman. Whatever the story yep. is, wants to eat you. Um, I. So do you have that story? I think that's a great story. To teach the kids. There are big bad wolves out there. They want to eat you. I think this, then when you've got the like. Uh, um, Why is the wolf bad? Uh, then you got the like the Disney Pixar Big Bad Wolf movie where it's like everybody hates them because they're scared. Oh, the in Pigland or in Little Red Riding Hoodville, uh, the Big Bad Wolf just can't get a break because everybody hates the Big Bad Wolf. And he's like, "Why do people think I'm bad?" Um, and then the whole movie is about how um, you know uh, it takes society needs to figure out that the Big Bad Wolf isn't as bad as it is, and when he does all these great things, he then becomes the mayor of like Little Red Riding Hoodville. And the little kid who watches that movie is like, "Oh, the Big Bad Wolf in the world is actually somebody that if I just got to know, I would actually like them." And I think that's a dangerous message oh, to teach the I children. Fully agree. <laughs> yeah, I, we are all, we are totally on board on yeah. that. And by by humanizing the villain, I don't mean lionizing the mm. villain. I mean, yes. showing what is actually going on inside their heart. I think that's okay. What I'm, I guess what I'm against is the 100%, like, we are, we are only okay with black and white evil depictions. I don't think that's a healthy way to be. So coming back to Dexter, okay. right, which we used as an example of humanizing the villain, right? In that show, he is, and I have to admit that I watched it, he is haunted by what he is doing, he, even though he does it. And he is constantly almost getting caught. Like everyone around him is on the verge of finding out that he is this horrible person and yet he does it. And he is conflicted about what he's doing because yes, they're evil, but doesn't that mean he is evil? And so he is caught in this, I mean, a place that I can, I mean, maybe I, maybe I read, read the room wrong and he is a sociopath, but a place of despair. He is constantly on edge. He is not enjoying himself. He is haunted by the things that he's doing. And I think that is a good depiction. Does of he what, get away with it or does he get punished? I think he gets, uh, and that's, then that's terrible. Or whatever. Like, but, but my point the show is that he's so much better if he gets caught and thrown in jail for life. And so, it's like, well, it doesn't, I don't care you're a sociopath. You killed a bunch of people. But this is my point is that, 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 doesn't, bad. that doesn't happen to everyone who's evil. And as long as like, I, I, but if I, you're telling a story, you're trying to well, let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. I advocate for depictions. I like depictions where they show that one of the ends of evil is not necessarily just punishment by outside forces, but internal punishment. How many kids are actually going to get caught for the stuff that they do? How many times do you? But the, um, uh, we all, I mean, we never get away with it, right? I mean, the whole point is that, that there is punishment and justice in the end. At least that's the, that, that's the Christian understanding of it. I, so not, I don't think that point. Satan's despair is, is um, the end of it. I think the fact that it's, it's Satan's despair because what he real is he's despairing because he doesn't have God. Mm. Um, I think a story where, you, um, I think something like Dexter is 
they're trying to get away with it. They're thinking like it'd be actually kind of cool if we told a story about like a good psychopath. And like, well, people aren't you know, we gotta do it in a way that like people are gonna swallow it because we can't just like put an evil guy on. on the, oh, we'll have him feel bad about it, um, but he still gets away with it at the end. And um, it's like okay, when the movie. So what if he gets caught? Does that change the show for you? It does. It does. If, if he gets caught and thrown in jail forever, it changes it. Yeah. Um, it's like the movie um, uh, Wall Street, that. right? When whoever directed Wall Street, he said, I wanted to write this movie because I wanted people to see how terrible greed was. And then you like created an entire genre of like Wall Street bros that loved that movie because they're like, this is awesome. Sure. Same um, with the uh, Coffee is for Closers, the Alec Baldwin thing. Same with yeah. Alec Baldwin, same yeah. with Scarface. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think gangster movies are another great example of this yeah. where you, you put up the gangster and you're like, oh, he's just doing it because he loves his family. Uh, and that's why he's like chainsawing women to death. Um, and, uh, and so isn't he cool that he dies on a mountain of cocaine at the end? Um, but I think like by even just depicting and showing that, um, uh, we just as like human beings, we will always be looking for the sympathy in the person. And by humanizing it, you get to this point where fast forward however many years since Scarface and Scarface is now sort of seen almost as this like weird folk hero. And he's in like every dorm room poster. Sure. Yeah. Um, but that's a misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding by design, because the story because the story was set up to make to make him sympathetic. Huh. Whereas I don't. Um, so Dexter gets arrested. For, does he get thrown in jail forever? Yeah. So well, I know. Does he get executed? I don't know. I don't think he goes that far. <laughs> anyway, but he does get caught. That's yeah. funny. Is that, is that, they just put out like a new last season. Is it from that? I'd have to look it up. Anyway, it's just, but anyway, my point being that like I'm just saying he got away yeah. with it for six seasons. Or that I was, think yeah. that the yeah. Um, uh, that the, the um, <laughs> season seven. Yeah, there it is. So you have, yeah, he does get caught. Um, yeah. That. And I, I wouldn't say dying on a mountain cocaine is, is a good thing. It's not. Hot but take. It's, but, wow. Are you sure? Yeah. Wow. I'm fairly sure. It's not a good thing, but I mean, like it's, it, um, um, by, um, putting it into the realm of imagination and by putting it into, into pictures, we're get, we're getting back to our, can art be evil question? Which we always you and, and I, I think and I think we are largely agreeing, and I actually kind of agree with you that when it is done in such a romantic way as to lionize or over romanticize the person who is suffering, mm-hmm. then then that's probably bad. Like in Scarface, mm-hmm. right, or in uh, Fight Club, right? Those mm-hmm. guys have end up with in a terrible place. He's shot in the face by a gun, but you come out of that thinking, oh man, what a romantic guy! Like he's got and he blows up a bunch of buildings. He's got like schizophrenia. He, he blows up yeah. some buildings and he gets he shoots himself in the face. Right. But you end up thinking he's cool. And I'm with you that that's not great. Yeah. But and that's why I like Paradise Lost so much is I think it is a good medium between the two where Satan seems romantic for the first little bit and you're taken in. You're like, "Oh man, this guy, I wish I, he's mm-hmm. kind of the hero." And then later you're like, "Man, he's just he's just watching them like right. as a frog. That's kind of dumb." Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "I'm so cool. Why don't you know my name?" And they don't care about him anymore. He's not as famous as he thought he was. And then at the end, he, he's basically just a hissing snake yeah. full of garbage. Like yeah. he's just spitting trash and everybody knows it. And I I like that kind of ending. And you're right. I think maybe 7 seasons of Dexter getting away with it and the Willie won't won't he is is not good unless we see a mental and spiritual decline over that time into total degradation, which is what would happen, right? To, to quote Chesterton, you can never maintain a level of bad, right? Right. You will always sink deeper and deeper into degradation. You now, cannot I, be romantic bad all the now time. I've never watched the show, but if they had a companion character who like lived his, who was like the police guy who like lived his boring life and he had like two kind of well-behaved kids who loved him and he never cheated on his wife, and he kind of paid his taxes and lived in like kind of a dumpy house in suburbia, and he catches the guy at the end, and you can kind of contrast these two people's lives, then maybe you're getting to the realm of, of doing something that's not just over-sympathizing right. the bad guy. I think, I think you might be talking about, it's been a long time since sure. I've seen it, and I didn't watch, I didn't watch more than like half mm-hmm. a season or whatever it was, but maybe a whole season, I don't remember. But but I think what you're talking about is the other cop. But knowing cop shows, she was probably tortured and alcoholic. Yeah, like I that's know. just the way cop Which shows Which is go. terrible. Sure. But yeah. my point being that like the, and we're running out of time here. My point being is that we've kind of, um, as kind of modern storytellers, and this has started with romanticism, is that we've kind of got this shtick of take the bad guy or take the outsider or take the other or take the despicable or take the thing that whatever, that people kind of think are bad Put them in a story where we can massage it in such a way that they look good, 
and then use that as an example to point to the fact that we that morality is just relative. And I think that that let that program run over time, over time, mm-hmm. over time, and you get to the place where you can kind of start lionizing really bad stuff. I fully agree with you on yeah. that. Yeah, I think we're on um, the same page. But, you know, the romantics are... Uh, they, we, you, but you go and you read the romantics and you're like, well, they're not doing this. Like, it doesn't feel like they're doing this, but you take what you take the, the mechanism of what they're doing and, and then push that 200 years in the future. Right. And in art, you get toilets in the, in the Louvre. And then in... I mean, that's just convenient. And then in identity, you've, got, you've sort of got the, the, the modern therapeutic... Um, um, sort of dis- fragmented self, and then in, in in ethics, you've kind of got the sort of Nietzsche will to power. So sure. it's kind of this um, this uh, um, yeah, the, this basically like this sort of a, a more barbarous age, mm. uh, and that's that's uh, Truman's point. And this has been classical yeah, stuff. Yeah. You should know. <laughs> On that happy note, uh, we'll see you later. I guess you can contact us if you want, you know, if anything matters in this world at uh, classicalstuff.net. That's our website. You can email us at theguys well, at classicalstuff.net. Things do matter. Net. Telling good stories are, is matter. Telling stories of, like, good people living, like, like ordinary lives and being happy is a... Anyway, whatever. As long as I'm in the middle of it, that's what's uh, really... Yes. As long as I'm the observer, I think yes. that's the important thing. And, <laughs> and if I can figure out what's right and wrong for myself, I think that's the important part. You are the main character. I'm the, of course I'm the main character. That's why I'm talking right now, exactly. is I'm the main character of the podcast. Yes. We've always known. And then... what? what what I, oh, you can patronize us, patreon.com slash classical stuff. And you can tweet at us at, at CLSSCAL stuff. And I think that's it for, uh, it for us, yep. right? We got, we got some more stuff to do. And if you get on the Patreon, you can hear in between episodes and some other cool stuff like AMAs. And we might even answer some of your questions if you throw them at us. And all right, I'm, I'm tired of talking. I'll see you guys later. Have a great and wonderful Tuesday. Bye. Because you deserve it. I mean, if you think you do, and if it's right to deserve it. I don't know.